opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. What's well, we know who the hard left are in the you know ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said so that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda: printing money, nationalisation without compensation. That sort of hard left wing position. Hard sort of left. The hard 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 left. Hard left. Hard left. The hard left. The hard left. 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 The hard left. 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 Hard left. Hard left. Left. Hard left. Hard left. Hard left. The hard left. Left. Hard left. Left. Hard left. Hard left. Another fucking horrible film, but also a really good one. Uh, yeah. Which one do you want to start with? Well, we should probably mention them both, so because yeah. we're probably going to be going back and forth between okay. the two and comparing. Yeah. But yeah, so there were a couple of jukebox musicals, both made in the UK, set in the UK as well, that came out last year. And they, I believe they came out within about a month of each other. Um, yeah. So, this... There's, I only saw one of them really being advertised over here. Yeah, only one of them was a, bi- was a big hit. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I can't speak for America, but even in the UK, one of them was more popular than the other, in a big way. So, yeah, one of these films came out on the 28th of June in the UK and also in the US. One of them came out on 9th of August 2019 in the UK, and although it has played Sundance last January, there is no US release date stated on Wikipedia. I'll have a look on IMDb to see if this other film is coming out in the US. You'd think it might have some American appeal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think it came out last August in the US. Yeah, I don't know but how only I... in, like, New Jersey or something. Just a residency at the Stone Pony uh, <laughs> down in Asbury <laughs> Park or something. Yeah. So, okay, these two films that came out, they're both kind of jukebox musicals. I think they've got a lot in common. They're both kind of feel-good films. They tug at the heartstrings. Obviously, as heartstring-tugging films tend to do, they also try <laughs> and, you know, put you through the emotional ringer. They both 
you know, show somebody dealing with disappointment and sadness in their lives. Oh, Rebecca Long Bailey's just announced her Labour leadership bid. Good shit. <laughs> the Corbyn candidate, as Mike Gapes would say. That's not what we're talking about. Like, these two films are two jukebox musicals. They both centre around a protagonist who in both is a British man of Asian heritage in, in both films. They both prominently feature the music of a legendary classic rock artist. But in many ways, these two films are drastically different, and I think one is drastically yeah. better than the other. So these two films are Yesterday, the... Danny Boyle film written by Richard Curtis. That was the one that came out in June and was extremely commercially successful. And then the one that came out in August and was not commercially successful was a film called Blinded by the Light, which I liked a lot more than the other film. So Blinded by the Light was directed by Gurinder Chadha. She's an English film director of Indian origin. I've not actually seen, I think, any of her films, but I've certainly heard of some of them. She, she actually directed the film Angus Thongs and Perfect Snogging, um, <laughs> as well as Bend It Like Beckham, which, oh. were, were, you know, that was a big, uh, again, a, a big hit. I watched hit. that years ago, yeah. And, and it's about, again, British Asians, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I guess, in the form of Beckham, the intersection of British... Asian life and a white dominated popular culture yeah so in this case blinded by the light let's get into it first let's get let's do a bit of positive talk about what this film is before we talk about the fucking horrendous yesterday (laughs) so blinded by the light is inspired by a book by a journalist called Safraz Manzoor, who's a British-Pakistani journalist, and he wrote a book called Greetings... Was the book autobiographical? Yeah. Yeah. It's a memoir called Greetings from Berry Park. You get it? Because it's a pun, because Bruce Springsteen's... Yeah, Berry Park (laughs) is a place in Luton, where the film is set, whereas Asbury Park is where Springsteen's from in Jersey. Race, (laughs) religion, and rock and roll. And that kind of you know sums up that this film is not just like a kind of one-dimensional film i mean i don't know how what the one dimension could be but i think (laughs) this is such an interesting film about working class life and about life as an immigrant and as a racial minority in britain it does wonderfully tie all those themes together yeah and it succeeds as just a jukebox musical as well (laughs) it's great so it's one of those first scenes where he's really listening to bruce and all those papers start spinning outside and words are appearing and stuff it's like like very happy musical sort of thing that's happening but then the film is so laden with the, the social realist sort of message, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I felt chills during that scene because yeah. I think they, they start showing the Springsteen lyrics on screen. And yeah. I can't I can't remember exactly, is it The Promised Land that they show? Just some of the lyrics that they show. That was one show, of the songs around that part, yeah. Yeah, they, they show like what kind of a desperation there is in the lyrics. 
Yeah, I think he he. So the 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 verse in that scene is, "I've done my best to live the right way. I get up every morning and go to work each day, but your eyes go blind and your blood runs cold. Sometimes I feel so weak. I just want to explode, explode and tear this old town apart. Take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. Find somebody itching for something to start." And then it goes into the chorus, and I think you know that song has, and in fact, like the darkness on the edge of town album generally has some of bruce's best lyrics and this film is just like an awesome (laughs) it's sorry it's a testament to the awesome power of bruce springsteen and you know how anybody anybody from any background around the world can if the circumstances are right and they hear these songs that they can be life-changing you know, that they can yeah. be... And I don't think that's even the main message of the film, because at one point, I was slightly disappointed towards the end where he grows up a bit and he sells his Bruce Springsteen collection. But then <laughs> there is a caption at the end which is saying that the guy has now seen Bruce Springsteen over 150 times in, con- <laughs> in concert. So I'm like, okay, right? He didn't just go, well, I'm a grown-up now. I don't need Bruce anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's such a deep film, man. Like, it's set in 1987 in Luton like within Uh, 10 seconds he mentions Thatcher yeah Oh, you man. straight away know that this is going to be a political movie. Yeah, like you see a big sign at one point and it's totally on the nose, but I loved it. It's just a big sign like <laughs> yeah. Margaret Thatcher, another term, getting Britain back to work or something. And of course, yeah. like his dad gets laid off from his manufacturing job yeah. that he's been in since he moved to Britain from Pakistan like two decades. Yeah, like 15 prior. or 20 years or something. Yeah. Exactly. And and because it's a film of such like a racial component to it, they talk a lot about the pressures, not just of economic life, but of sort of like Pakistani family life and mm. how the son is generally expected to be looking after the father in his old age. And when you're, you know, itching to tear this old town apart and, you know, <laughs> get on the highway jammed with broken heroes. What the fuck, you know? Just to quote <laughs> Bruce Springsteen lyrics, Mary climb in, or, or when you're hoping to bust out of your to pull out of your town full of losers to win that's it then having to like stay around and look after your dad for the rest of your life probably doesn't sound so appealing (laughs) and you know they show the economic hardship of the times like he goes off to try and find a job he can't find one either his dad you know puts on his suit and goes to the dole office every day because you know he obviously feels a lot of shame that he can't provide for his family and the mother is having to sew around the clock and he gets a job with rob bryden he's quite funny in the film he looks awful yeah. in the film doesn't he like, what is happening is he has he got like a fake tan on or something and a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre wig but like rob bryden plays his mate's cunt dad who like yeah basically his dad kind of like bullies him and it's amazing by the way they never featured adam raised a cane at any point in the film because like Lyrics in Adam Raised a Cane describe his relationship with his father in the film. (laughs) Daddy worked his whole life for nothing but the pain. Now he walks these empty rooms looking for something to blame. You inherit the sins, you inherit the flames. Adam Raised a Cane.
know, it's, it, I guess like, like you can't feature every Bruce Springsteen banger about like profound and universal themes in in your reasonably reasonable length film, you know. But still, I felt that was a missed opportunity there. But yeah, like, but his, you know, they draw these awesome like parallels and the his, the diff. They show the universality of Bruce Springsteen's lyrics, you know, and how they're like white working class guy his dad bullies him and the pakistani guy his dad kind of bullies him but there's a different dynamic to it and yeah yeah, so he gets a job with his mate's dad played by rob bryden as a broad (laughs) cockney and he works at a market stall doesn't he and that's when one of the the bollywood style musical sequences happens which i thought was wonderful doesn't the main guy like he sees the girl he fancies and yeah. he sticks on his headphones and puts on Thunder Road, is it? It's yeah, either Thunder Road so. or Born to Run. No, I think Born to Run comes a bit later, maybe. But yeah, they put on Thunder Road. And then him and Rob Bryden are both <laughs> just like skipping around the market. Um, like, whoa, come take my hand. And just singing directly. You can hide neat your lovers and study your pain. Make crosses from your lovers, throw roses in the rain. Waste your summer praying in vain for a saviour to rise from these streets. <laughs> well, no, I'm no hero, that's understood. All the redemption I can offer, girl, is beneath this dirty hood. With a chance to make it good somehow. Hey, what else can we do now? Except roll down the windows and let the wind blow back and yeah, it's again, it really is fuck. succeeding as a as a jukebox musical. Yeah. That's the thing, man. It's cheesy as fuck, but I yeah. literally got chills. I was so <laughs> into it. I, I was like, this is beautiful, you know? And they've just got, like, the album version of the song just, like, playing in the background as well. It's not like... Mm. They've not got some hack session musicians to re-record instrumental versions of all Springsteen's tunes or anything. <laughs> no, they literally just, like, sing to the album version which is what he's supposed to be doing in the scene because he's got it on in headphones there was one slight springsteen related incongruity which was like, oh yeah yeah it was that he got the river and born in the usa and then he instantly started quoting a song off born to run oh, yeah right. <laughs> i was like come on come on now that's this is <laughs> this, this is a bit silly <laughs> so i am really really big bruce springsteen fan as you know and yeah i didn't come away from this film feeling like it pissed all over his legacy or anything <laughs> I felt right. like this film, it was like a Bruce Springsteen song. It had yeah. that human touch, to quote one of his shit out, his, his really, like, the weaker albums in Springsteen's <laughs> career. The film, like, has that deep connection with people's experiences. And I think we should just say, because it will lead into our critique of yesterday, that the film is really, really racially conscious. Like, it shows his family getting you know the national front were were active at the time and it shows them you know they do their marches and they go around they they, 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 slurs yeah they they spray paint you know i can imagine people can probably guess what slur they substituted but they paint like pakistanis out basically and at one point they beat up his dad 
because he's trying to he goes off yeah. it's a it's a family wedding and like his sister you know knows how much he loves springsteen so she's like come on go off and buy your bruce springsteen tickets and his dad gets the shit beaten out of him by nazi thugs and then another point javed and his friend get bullied out of that diner or whatever it is yeah they do but then don't they just start singing badlands <laughs> yeah. at them <laughs> that's, see, that's awesome and it get, yeah, again that was an awesome ending to that scene yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no 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 move over there mate all right i'm so glad you smell you from here all right thank you. go on move quickly thank you We should have said something. I can't just take it. Where's the tape? I don't care if I told you before. No, I carry on, mate. This guy is sweet. What are you doing, mate? Is this a, is this, is this a special packy film? <laughs> huh? Is this your number one packy film, mate? Eh? Give it back. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen, mate. <laughs> he doesn't sound like a packy, does he? For the ones who had a notion, a notion deep inside, that it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. I wanna find one face that ain't looking through me. I wanna find one place I wanna spit in the face of these bad lads. You gotta live every day. in one of the it's not to do with the racial elements of the film which again are a really important part of it but another class conscious part of the film was when i don't know if it was miners specifically i don't think luton was a mining area or it might have been like steel workers or something that were on yeah, strike probably. and I'm, ha- I'm happy for anyone to correct me on that but basically during the thunder road sequence i think it is they sort of skip past this bunch of striking workers and there's just a beautiful moment of solidarity i guess they do like the solidarity fist to them or something and there's just like an amazing moment i it synced up perfectly with some very solidaristic line in the song and it's just a proper i haven't felt like those kind of such like a feel-good socialist moment in a film since pride did you see pride no i've been meaning to watch it i know you know know. the film yeah, the film about lesbians and gays support the minors. Yeah. LGSM. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's another excellent that's film. That's one I really want to watch with them sometime. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a great film, man. It's just pure solidarity. So, Blinded by the Light just really hit the spot for me in every single way. Like, I mean, it's, mm. it is in many ways outside of my personal experience, but... It's right. still relatable for me in that, like, it's about a young guy who, like, wants to be a writer and finds inspiration in the music of Bruce Springsteen. Like, Bruce isn't, like, my number one artist, but he's certain... A lot of artists have had a an impactful yeah. effect on me, and a few more so than Bruce Springsteen. I absolutely loved Roops, his his mate, who's, like, he's a Sikh, mm. isn't he? So uh, they, think, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, they're the only two South Asian students in the school. He, and his mate is just like, yeah, man. He just like hands him uh, the, the two Springsteen tapes like he's like it's a drug deal. He's just like, yeah, man, he's the good shit. And he calls, yeah, he calls it the direct line to all that is true in this shitty world. Oh, man. And the repeat, I know it's kind of bad, I guess. I find it so funny. But the repeated joke about how his dad thinks yeah! Bruce Springsteen is yeah! Jewish. That's so funny. You're listening to that Jewish man again. <laughs> and then, but it's like the... three or four times he says it, and I howl. Every <laughs> yeah, it's time. so funny. Who was that on TV? No one. It's Bruce Springsteen. Springsteen? Jewish? Jewish. No, he's American. Have you done that letter for Mr. Shah? Ever since you've been following this American Jewish man, you've changed. He's not Jewish. He's not Pakistani either. Promise me one thing. I want you to give all this haram nonsense up. Because his dad very much believes in positive stereotypes about Jewish people. <laughs> he, he thinks they're a very industrious people, so he keeps telling his son to be more like the Jewish people <laughs> at his school and stuff. And then at the end, actually, his dad listens to Bruce yeah. Springsteen and he finds out that he kicks ass and he says to his son at his graduation or something or whatever it is, hey, I listened to that Bruce Springsteen and his songs are all about working hard, respecting your family. He must be Pakistani. <laughs> son, this Bruce Springsteen, are you sure he's American? Yes. And not Jewish. I read his songs. He said, work hard, don't give up, respect your parents. This man must be Pakistani. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm honestly just getting so many goosebumps talking about the film and just reliving <laughs> all these moments. It works on every level. It's just, it's fun. It's feel good, you know? Yeah. It's politically good. Yeah. Like, literally, I didn't find anything particularly politically problematic with it, really. No. I mean... I guess it's male centric, but I didn't yeah, find it to be it sexist. It is male centric, but at the same time, it does kind of pay attention to Javed's sisters, you know. It does, yeah. Are. And I just wanted to interject after the fact to say, of course, the film's not sexist. I mean, it's directed by a woman, Girinda Chadder, and I listened to some interviews with her about the film, and she kind of says that its USP is that it's a film about masculinity, but from a perspective of a woman filmmaker so it's a different kind of thing to say the Scorsese films which are also very much about masculinity but <laughs> straight from a horse's mouth so to speak that we'll probably be talking about on our next episode and his very mother nice. having to you know actually bring home the bacon for the family with her sewing yeah and she and has then... to sell her jewelry and stuff yeah Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely shows how working class women kept their families going, especially like in that community. Mm. And yeah, just all the stuff, like the tension on the streets, like how he has to sort of run and he'd love to stand up to these fascists. But you know what? Of course you'd run if you saw yeah. these fucking skinheads, <laughs> you know? It's really, I thought just like a, a really beautiful film and it's a mainstream film, you know? It should, this shit film should have been a hit. It absolutely should have been. And I feel like the yesterday blinded by the light dichotomy was like a dry run of the 2019 general election. <laughs> In just but for utterly undeserving, worthless, reactionary piece of crap just brought home 
surprise. Let's compare. Next. Purpose of your visit? I'm going to a conference at Monmouth College. I want a prize to attend. But that's not my main purpose. I'm going to Asbury Park with my friend to see Bruce Springsteen's hometown. Excuse me? Hey, Billy, check this guy out. He's come all this way because him and his buddy are Bruce fans. I can't think of a better reason to visit the United States than to see the home of the boss. Next. Today, box office 151.3 million, blinded 18.02 million box office. Uh, to be fair, yesterday cost more than blinded, but only 9 million more. This is all in dollars, by the way. But that is just shockingly. <laughs> shockingly terrible. Uh, like, just, just for contrast there. You know, and the um, only things I can think of why that should logically even be at all would be a probably I reckon there was a lot of Beatles money behind yesterday. Yeah, know, Beatles money. Yeah, that would be uh, that is a good point. Uh, which, especially on the international stage, will have helped it. And then I guess Danny Boyle's probably the more well-known director, but yeah. whether that should be the case is obviously up for debate. I guess him and Richard Curtis both have a track record. So, okay, yeah, so they have from the makers of Slumdog Millionaire yeah. and, and Love Actually on the poster. Uh, yeah. So they've got their both their very middle-of-the-road oeuvres uh, yeah. <laughs> encompassed there. So not even the interesting Danny Boyle films or anything. I mean, I've got to say, like, Danny Boyle, I remember when he did the Melt 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. Uh, <laughs> he was, like, doing all these interviews, like, yeah, I'm a socialist, blah, blah, blah. And I've not heard a word from him in support of Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> over the last few years. So between his silence on Corbyn and his making of yesterday <laughs> I, I, and the way that the 2012 Olympic ceremony has become a totemic emblem of everything that is good in society for the worst melts in the country I would have to say I've lost all respect for Danny Boyle over the last few years <laughs> I'm not saying he's never done a good film I like Shallow Grave and Trainspotting yeah well, his very first films, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, 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 his first two films. I've not seen the Train Spotting sequel. Uh, no, literally nothing else he's done has really done it for me. I quite like Trance. Uh, I, 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 I seem to remember saying to you after we saw it at the cinema, I think I think it was just largely because I 
kind of fancied Rosario Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I don't know if I actually like Trance that much. So yeah, Melt. Melt Danny Boyle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his filmography now, and yeah, pretty much. Like, I enjoyed Trance enough. It's all right. I did enjoy Transponding too. That was yeah. That I've was not seen decent. it, but like everything else since Transponding has been a bit. <laughs> mm. Yeah, a lot of very mediocre films. But I mean, I just, I don't think his filmography is as bad as Richard Curtis, Probably who not. is literally I find everything he writes to be the most manipulative mawkish mm. bullshit and i mean i've not seen all of it but you can just have a look at the description so i was like hmm what's the girl in the cafe and it turns out it's like <laughs> bill nye plays some guy who's a civil servant working for the chancellor of the exchequer who falls in love with gina who's played by kelly mcdonald a young woman and then blah 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 they meet in a cafe and he takes her to the g8 summit in reykjavik where she confronts the prime minister over the issue of third world debt and poverty in africa much to lawrence's embarrassment and the anger of his employers however here's the twist he realizes she is right and tries to help persuade the chancellor and others at the summit to do something about the issues concerned that's that's wonderful why haven't more civil servants thought of bringing their cafe sourced girlfriends to uh, <laughs> to you know the g8 summit and then poverty genuinely might be history by now yeah uh, chancellor this is um gina oh yes yes i remember how are you enjoying yourself gina i'm good thanks what about you oh yes yes i'm having a tremendous time too i hope you won't let them actually push the millennium development goals right off the agenda well, there's always a bit of agenda juggling on the first day. It's always difficult to push matters of foreign financial policy high up on the agenda, but, you know, we're doing the best we can. I don't know anything, obviously, but it sounds to me like that's the one that's really a matter of life and death. It sounds to me like that's the one that's really worth fighting for. And I'll be fighting, believe me. The fight against poverty is very important to me. But it's also important that we represent the interests of people in our own country. I don't believe for a moment that people in our country would want you to represent their interests if you were doing it instead of talking about saving the lives of millions and millions of children who will definitely die next year if you all don't sort things out. My goodness. <laughs> Lawrence didn't tell us that you were a woman with such um, strong opinions. Sorry, am I in total disgrace? Uh, no, no, it's just a little um, unexpected. Um, sorry. Um. Oh my gosh, yeah, I'm just looking at the films and like Four Weddings, Notting Hill, Bridget yeah. Jones, Love Actually, like just writing the same movie over and over again. What makes this guy the, like, Mr. Ro-Romantic? You know what I mean? What makes this Richard... I'm not meaning to slag him off. Like, there's nothing wrong with, like, being married to somebody for... Yeah, Emma Freud, he's been married to for, like, a long, long time. But, I, I mean, like, what... 
gives this guy, like, this insight into, like, the romantic side of the human condition that means that he keeps going back to it over and over again. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> it's, that his, it's that the films are commercially successful, but yeah. I mean, like... But why, what is his, like, vision of himself that he's like, I have access to all these truths about, like, love and romance and relationships? I don't know. (sighs) No idea. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I mean, like, I I don't personally like it, but in terms of him doing stuff that doesn't involve elements of romance, he did co-create Mr. Bean with Rowan Atkinson. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not into Mr. Bean though. Never, never did it for me because I got into the. I, I got it in, as a kid. Thing is, I got into the verbal humor of Black Adder as a kid. So by the time, <laughs> by the time I, I would have discovered Mr. Bean through Black Adder, and then it totally didn't do it for me. Um, I, I remember enjoying both equally as a child. I, I don't know. I, fair I, enough. But fair, yeah. <laughs> well, I know. I know, like the French like mr bean because it's like jacques tati and stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's got more credibility it's over there it's probably got more general international appeal yeah oh yeah i, I would yeah languageless uh, um, yeah absolutely i mean it's very it's very successful i just don't personally like it yeah, really no, um, it's, yeah, it is what it is it's i mean slapstick <laughs> yeah we've barely talked about the actual film yesterday yet but yes but I just, I, no i just really want to say like, this off <laughs> i think yeah if, i think just getting into richard curtis though like just his filmography i'm just looking at it now and it's so bad like every year basically he seems to now <laughs> either do a for comic relief because he's big on comic relief he's like a make poverty history guy i'm like well okay well poverty is an Let's innate capitalism part. literally because it's just intellectually dishonest to say you want to end poverty and to support capitalism in any form it's poverty's a built-in part of capitalism yeah like it's intrinsic i mean for fuck's sake so i i I hate all that shit and but it's always like so i i mean i stopped watching comic relief like many many years ago but from what i remember of when he'd keep doing like he'd bring back the vicar of dibley and it would just be like dawn french like goes on youtube and she's like hey hey vicar of dibley people right look at this and then she's on youtube and there's like an african child dying and she's like wow did you know this was happening and they're like wow that's all really fucked up. And then they've been having standard frothy Richard Curtis jokes until then. And then it will just be all like sad music plays and everyone's crying because uh, Dawn Foss, not Dawn Foss, sorry, not, sorry, Dawn. Uh, Dawn French just discovered poverty. <laughs> Dawn French, incidentally, has endorsed Jess Phillips for Labour leader. But um, <laughs> no, seriously, every single year now, pretty much, he seems to do Red Nose Day, actually. One Red Nose Day and a Wedding, where he'll reunite the casts of one of his awful films. And they'll <laughs> just... I don't even know what they do, because obviously... They, don't <laughs> stuff. they do some shit. I imagine they go on YouTube and they are like, look <laughs> yeah. at this, poverty! Did you know? <laughs> Did you know that people in Africa are poor? Well, I've got a video here that's going to blow your mind. <laughs> Thank you.
yeah, his new film is very much in this mould. Well, it's not that new anymore. It's technically a Danny Boyle film, but Curtis wrote and produced it, and it's called Yesterday. And it envisions a horrifying dystopia in which the Beatles never existed. I'm going to say I'm a Beatles fan, but were the Beatles the band portrayed in this film, it would not be a dystopia if they never <laughs> existed. It would, in fact, be a far better world because as far as i can see the beatles in this film are like the beatles as interpreted by somebody who owns like the singles compilation like li- I, I know that you're not gonna do a f- film where he's like doing art rock interpretations of for the benefit of mr kite or something but but like Come on, the Beatles are like one of the most innovative bands ever. And we're supposed to believe that this guy would have a hit with I Wanna Hold Your Hand in 2019. (laughs) Like, A, I Wanna Hold Your Hand. Yeah, it's a nice, catchy song, but it's not musically innovative. Like, there's, you know, it's just kind of like uh, a a good pop song. And B, have you fucking heard the lyrics to I Wanna yeah. Hold Your Hand? You'd think, you heard that, you'd think either, well, A, this guy listens to a lot of early 60s pop, or B, <laughs> this guy should be on a register. <laughs> when he plays I Saw Her Standing There, opening line, well, she was just 17. Yeah, yeah, you know. oh my God. I can't believe they even went for that line. You like, would... what? Richard, like, Richard Curtis just, I don't think, heard of Me Too. I mean, like, <laughs> a thing that, a thing that it just completely, must have completely passed him by, like everything else in, in society seems to have. He, he lives the most sheltered existence, Richard Curtis, and you can see it in all of his stuff. Like, so society, as portrayed in the film Yesterday, it is post-racial, <laughs> I'd say. Yes, evidently. <laughs> like, like... Blind, blinded by the light. The protagonist of the film is a person of color, Himesh Patel, yeah. who is a British Indian actor. His parents are originally from Gujarat, and whereas it, you yeah, <laughs> never it's never mentioned. mentioned. Well, I just once. I just had to look up that on Wikipedia. Yeah. I I knew I guessed that the character was supposed to be Indian in terms of his family because Sanjeev Bhaskar and Meera Sayal, two well-known British Indian actors and comedians, play his parents. And I recognise both of them. I forgot fucking James Corden cameos in it. Like, (laughs) literally. That just shows what, like, a bottom-feeding film this is. You know, what an absolute, just sickening... Ed Sheeran... Really, Richard? Do you know who Ed Sheeran is? How old is Richard Curtis? Richard Curtis is 63. He does not listen to Ed Sheeran. Like, this is ridiculous. It is purely a cynical, manipulative gesture of let's just have someone who's down with the kids. In fact, I can... My 50-year-old mom is really into Ed Sheeran. Real okay, okay, fair. All right, fair enough. I guess he is I think all libs can be into Ed Sheeran. He's a middle-of-the-road, inoffensive pop artist, and actually they originally planned to give the role to Chris Martin from Coldplay, who, <laughs> who turned it down. Oh. Uh, no, but, oh but, but, but do you see what I mean? I sincerely doubt that Richard Curtis or Danny Boyle have any deep personal attachment to either Ed Sheeran or Coldplay. Yeah. They are just like 
who is popular who can i put in yeah who is kind of like well known (laughs) i kind of just like hate everything about this film yeah i mean like like i was kind of saying in the messages to you i can understand that not everything in life has to be about race and you don't have to announce your race to everybody but the fact that ethnicity and religion and stuff never ever came up when i just watched blinded by the light yeah it's such a stark contrast oh yeah yeah really uh, it was really uncomfortable like yeah. you say, this post-racial, it's, I felt like everybody was just ignoring the elephant in the room or something. Here's another thing. How many, I guess you could say, they turn the Beatles into a pop rather than a rock band in this. But how many people who play, like, guitar-based rock and become massive stars are non-white? Like, it's kind mm, of a, yeah. you know, it's really, like, a notable thing. I'm sure there was a throwaway line about this, but it's kind of tied into what you already said. Songs like Back in the USSR... make no fucking sense in 2019 yeah i guess again it comes across like a pastiche of 60s music that's the only way you'd be able to interpret it isn't this retro and i was gonna say on the whitewashing kind of thing so Mm. there's this sketch on a british tv show called monkey dust that aired in i think from 2003 to 2005 and it was like a late night bbc3 sketch show that was very very dark comedy uh, animated show it, yeah recommended you should check it out it's very funny and it hits at like the soullessness of blairite society <laughs> but that contains a sketch called richard curtis land where a kind of <laughs> hugh grant avatar uh, is sort of bumbling around like oh gosh uh, su- seducing <laughs> a, a glamorous american julia roberts surrogate yeah. um right there you are my lovely six ripe apples from the westminster orchard <laughs> why thank you Oh my gosh, total disaster. God, dinner party tonight, completely run out of aubergines. You must be English. Oh, gosh, yes, how upset about you. God, what a wonderful market. Oh, gosh, thanks. Just normal, really. Bit of fruit, veg, antiques. Old Reg here's had his pitch since 1934. That I have, young sir. Old Norm here's had his pitch since 1934. There you go, me arties, six ripe aubergines from the Soho Dales. Look, you really must come back and see my apartment. It's on the corner of Maine and Notting. Wow, a real English apartment. I'd love to. Um, excuse me, please. Do you sell ghee? How did you get in here? They'll be at the, like, the Camden Market. Or, like, oh, here, I've got some aubergines from the Soho Dales. And, um, <laughs> and, and like, occasionally a person of colour, like a refugee-looking person, will pop up. And the police will just, like, pop into shot and snatch them out <laughs> from under them. Or, they're, or just, like, a transition between shots. Like, they'll just be wandering along, like, oh, bloody hell, let, oh, bugger let's go and visit my place it's only small and so on and it's just like an enormous mansion (laughs) but like the transition between shots will be like a huge van full of deported immigrants will get uh, will just drive by you british have such changeable weather oh gosh wow really do you think so i'm afraid my place is a bit pokey just a place to crash really you know Wow, this place is gorgeous. Oh, well, gosh, I I suppose I'm quite lucky to have the old place, really, especially as I've got no visible means of support. Just my good fortune that the Bakiokos moved back to Nigeria when they did. 
It's such a beautiful day. How's about we go for a drive in your pre-war Bentley? Oh, wow. But we can't go outside the compound. Why ever not? Well, it's where they keep the immigrants and, and, and poor people. That sounds terrible. Isn't there something we can do? Oh, yes, there is. Uh, once every two years, we have a special day when we put on a pair of highly amusing pants and encourage other people to give money. Or if you really want to help, you could always spend 24 hours lying in a bath of baked beans. Anyway, will you marry me? Yes. Oh, I do love you. So it almost portrays Richard Curtisland as this sort of gated community <laughs> yeah. uh, where things like race and class are not allowed to penetrate. They are just kind of like, he just ignores them. And let's talk about the film's class dimensions. Because or like, lack thereof. Oh, yeah. lack thereof. And so Jack, the main character, seems to be... Yeah, so his family, they seem extremely like middle class. Doesn't he still live with his parents? Yeah. I guess that makes a change from a friends style situation where, you know, they all own a really nice flat despite having no <laughs> discernible form of income. Right, yeah. But yeah. he just has a gang of like irritating fucking middle class wanker <laughs> friends. It's all like posh voiced white people who are so smug and self satisfied and literally Every hero of a Richard Curtis film has this same group of friends to the mm. point that I genuinely think that a character in one of his films who has no mates would actually be happier. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it's so bleak, man. Like, just everyone is so comfortable. And his girlfriend is, she's like a teacher, but she seems to be fine, doing fine financially. They're all doing fine financially. There's no sign of any strain. His issues are more with, like, being a loser than being yeah. uncomfortable. It's more like he's interested in becoming known. Yeah, and, like famous than about any kind of desire to escape poverty or whatever. Yeah, there is no poverty to escape. Uh, it's, again, it's so stark from like the Springsteen esque scenario of Blinded by the Light, where it's all about pulling out of here to win. Like, and here it's like, why? I mean, I live in. <laughs> the thing is, I watched. It, I was like, oh god, this guy has a really like similar life to me i think just like <laughs> lives with his middle class parents as a, a incredibly unsuccessful singer songwriter <laughs> you know so i watched it i'm just like Too there's relatable. already <laughs> but i still found blinded by the light more relatable because this right. film is such like an emotional husk didn't feel like he really had an ambition to me may yeah stated several times why he wanted to do what he wanted but it, it felt very inauthentic and I don't Absolutely. know that that was... I, I'm not sure... I'm not too familiar with the actor, but I don't know if that was necessarily a performance issue. I'm much more likely to blame Richard Curtis's script. Um. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> what I'm thinking of doing is like, I might do some like crappy crazy moose covers of beatles songs for this episode just to like show <laughs> just imagine and, and say to people like listen to these like imagine if this was the first time you heard this song with like <laughs> my like first take approach and like sort of like 
just guitar slightly off key and not real proper drums on it and stuff and like would you think this is the greatest song ever yeah, because is, is every- this going to be a number one hit across the planet <laughs> My eyes, he licks my bones. I feel so suicidal, just like Dylan Mr. Jones. songs that I think it just wouldn't be the case. I mean, it's not that they're bad songs, they're great yeah. songs. Like yesterday, the very first one that he sings to his friends at the pub garden or whatever it is, it's a good song, yeah, but like if I just heard some nobody just sing it yesterday to me, I wouldn't be like you've got to go contact like every producer you've I ever know. met because you are sitting on gold. Yeah, I, yeah, literally. I, I, I mean... It's just not the case that nowadays being like a good guitar-based, guitar-slash-piano-based singer-songwriter is like enough to make you a living, let alone be the biggest star in the world. When they make such a big deal of like the record label say he writes everything himself, (laughs) I'm like, Richard Curtis, again, he's not, he does not listen to music because... Like, there are so many singer-songwriters out there performing at a moderate level of success, if that, who are genuinely, like, really, really, really talented, and they, like, have great voices as well or whatever, and that kind of music just isn't the sort of music that makes you a star. I thought that was so stupid, the whole, um, it's incredibly impressive that he wrote all this himself i guess it's a joke because the joke is that he didn't write any of it but yeah well i i think an interesting point of comparison as well is that while javid in blinded by the light doesn't necessarily want to become a singer songwriter or whatever but he does want Mm. to become a writer an artist and they do very extensively talk about how difficult that is because of his social circumstances not because of his talent which exactly bundles up it's and never in doubt is, that he's talented. Exactly. And yesterday is almost the exact opposite. This guy is <laughs> not really shown to have any talent, except remembering <laughs> songs that nobody else remembered and being able to play an instrument competently. <laughs> and he has so much instantaneous success. 
overnight almost what so if they say he does like a six song demo tape at first and that six song demo tape contains among other songs I saw her standing there and I want to hold your hand, which we can like definitively establish would not be met with positive receptions in the modern day. If they were received positively, it would be by people saying, wow, this is a great pastiche of the Beatles. But (laughs) because the Beatles didn't exist in this world, what are people's frame of reference for what these songs sound like and Mm. the childlike naivete of their lyrics, you know? the immediate predecessors to the Beatles, I guess. But Wow, this sounds like it. Jerry and the Pacemakers. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> but, but, but the Stones still exist in the film. Yeah! So, so okay, so I want... But so like, Oasis doesn't. No, Oasis doesn't. That's such a lazy sense, joke. Right? That's, that's such yeah. a cheap gag, man. That's such, Fuck that. Because, like, Oasis, they had other influences. They just yeah. sound more like... I, I don't know, just like another Stone Roses rip-off or something. But then, seriously, I was can't that just comprehend... Tra- was that just a reference to their joke about, like, we're going to be bigger than the Beatles? Like... I think it's just because they're so influenced by the Beatles, the idea is, you know, that they wouldn't exist. But, then, I mean, take, like, Wonderwall. Yeah. That's the pivotal song, because, like, Jack impressed Ellie, his bourgeois dream girl, by singing Wonderwall as a teenager or something. Yeah, but I don't even think Wonderwall like the title is stolen from a George Harrison soundtrack album. But I don't think Wonderwall even like sounds that much like the Beatles. So, all right, I guess you can pick holes in their stupid alternate universe forever. But do you know what I mean? Like, so if the Stones existed but the Beatles never did, then does that mean that like music went in a much more like hard-edged, gritty kind of direction, (laughs) because presumably they'd be the biggest band in the world. But you know what? The Stones only started writing songs because the Beatles started writing songs. So would the Stones have just been a massively successful blues cover band if there were no Beatles? Or would they... In fact, one one of the Stones' first singles was I Wanna Be Your Man, Written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> so, 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 like, wh- right, and then, how do you comprehend? <laughs> well, when you're sitting there in your silk upholstered chair, talking to some rich folks that you know. And at the end, when he goes to meet John Lennon, oh yeah, it play, play, it's even more confusing. Played by Robert Carlyle in an uncredited cameo. Yeah, I, I could not get what the t- alternate timeline thing was going for. Could not understand it. Yeah, so well, I guess the Beatles existed, but they were never musicians or something. And yeah, yeah, was so that John... it? Were they never musicians or were they never big? He never alluded Which is the only thing I would ask if I was in that universe. I'd be like, John Lennon, d- did you never become a band member? Like, what, what happened? Yeah, I, I guess you'd say, like, hey, hey John, you got any uh, songs lying around there? Right. So I'm kind of, I'm running a bit short, you know, anything from, <laughs> a- a- anything from, like, uh, 
the 60s, maybe? Like, <laughs> look, 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 no one can remember the Beatles, so give me some of your 70s solo songs and I'm sure no one will know the difference. Like, <laughs> it may not be as good, but who cares? <laughs> but, um, I guess the whole takeaway from that scene is just that he survived because he didn't become famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of probably true. But John Lennon was a very self-destructive man. Like, he would have, you know, he did become a heroin addict in real life. So he might have just got more addicted to heroin or (laughs) probably just got in a fight and got punched to death by someone, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, John Lennon was always a prick, but it was only after he met Yoko that he kind of like calmed down a bit, like (laughs) at least to some extent, because he was always like a bit of an angry man. Yeah, 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 like he would have totally just like got his head caved in in a in a fight on the docks or something like or in the the rat keller of a re- for reaper barn or whatever sorry the rat keller is what they call it in the ruttles yeah. not the actual beatles mythology um coca-cola never exists in the film as well right. in the alternative universe which i could kind of understand like yeah it existed before the beatles but i guess it was heavily advertised by them but oh my god i lost my shit when they decided that cigarettes didn't exist anymore yeah what the fuck like, was that about man it's just because the beatles smoked well the beatles were yeah. more into smoking loud man right <laughs> and, and, and like the Rolling Stones smoked plenty of cigarettes. Yeah, yeah, the, the Stones. Like, imagine Keith Richards not smoking. You don't get what a face it? like that without smoking. Keith was a choir boy when he was a teenager. Do you reckon his voice would still sound like angelic <laughs> if if uh, if he'd never taken up smoking? No, that's an incredible counterfactual, actually. The Stones without cigarettes. What would him and Ronnie do when they were on stage? Play guitar? <laughs> right. <laughs> but just like the, the centuries of cigarette smoking before that and millennia yeah, yeah. of tobacco use like <laughs> what what no the beatles didn't do that i'm trying to think what that joke is from <coughs> blackadder 2 like since that bloody sir walter rally came back from america everyone's just smoking potatoes and eating tobacco <laughs> <laughs> maybe ben elton wrote that one richard curtis wasn't aware that tobacco was around in blackadder 2 days <laughs> I was just thinking about the Coca-Cola thing. They obviously get a lot of mileage out of the fact that Coca-Cola is colloquially known as Coke. Coke, yeah! He'll ask for a Coke and his mum will be like, you alright there? Um, (laughs) But I was just thinking, if Coca-Cola never existed, how many Colombian trade unionists are still alive? This is when we were figuring out, actually, this alternate timeline without the Beatles is the better universe, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. Like, Stone's the biggest band ever. Trade unionists no co- are alive. Yeah, uh, no, no cigarette Coca-Cola. smoking, much Fuck less lung cancer. Well. Yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure weed still exists in this universe. They do only say cigarettes. Yeah, they never mentioned weed. There's no reason to think. <laughs> In this one, maybe Bob Dylan still introduced the Beatles to weed, but then they all just coughed so much more when they had it because they'd never smoked before. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of, oh, we laughed and laughed, which is what Ringo says about their first smoke in the anthology documentary, in the alternate world anthology documentary, which is like a home video, I guess, about these people who were never a band. I've lost myself already. But anyway, it would be, I coughed and coughed. But yeah, he opens for Ed Sheeran in Russia. For so, which which really I, I have to say I was very uh, suspicious of that. Okay, well, 
Here's a scene I thought was bad. It might be after the Russia gig or something. Yeah, it is. Everybody's talking about socialism, Marxism, Trotskyism, Leninism, Stalinism, Bobbyism, left wing. Stop the extremism. All we are saying is give milk a chance. All we are Sheeran challenges Jack mm. to a songwriting duel. I'm sure that's the kind of thing that big dickhead Sheeran always does. He's like, <laughs> I'll take on any of you in man-to-man combat. <laughs> pen to pen. And Ed Sheeran like writes some perfectly good song and plays it. And then Jack plays The Long and Winding Road. And Ed Sheeran gracefully accepts defeat. I thought he seemed like kind of pissy and like just... <laughs> he, he, he seemed a bit like a loser about it. The like Ed Sheeran audience at the after party, which will presumably all be like Ed Sheeran's road crew sycophants and assorted <laughs> hangers-on... They all universally declare Jack's song better. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I was telling you that this made me think of this quote from Neil Young. People don't want to hear a song I think is cool. They want to hear a song I wrote. Mm. Just because Ed Sheeran is like bowled over by this guy's rapid fire songwriting abilities, that's not going to make an Ed Sheeran audience think that the Ed Sheeran song that Ed Sheeran wrote in a matter of minutes is less impressive than this other one. They would be biased in its favour because it is by the guy they like and who probably most of their employment depends on. And really, in general, I'm not saying it's necessarily correct, but cover bands are kind of frowned upon compared to artists that do their own music, you know? Even a really good cover band, it's like, uh, you only do covers. There is certainly something to writing and performing your own songs that come from your own feelings even if you're really not a good songwriter they might be better than just covering somebody else's you know i mean i guess that's why the record company are bizarrely enthusiastic about the fact that he didn't have a billion songwriters working with him that's what i thought was another thing that i thought rang completely untrue was that the only alteration they made to his work other than (laughs) emphasizing the fact that he is the sole author of all the work by naming his album like one man band or something they accept ed sheeran's suggestion that hey jude should instead be hey dude (laughs) which is such a lame joke why why so unfunny and again that makes me think ed sheeran in this film is actually like a petty bitch who was just trying to fuck <laughs> with him like rather than a graceful you know Playing magnanimous <laughs> yeah 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 exactly i feel like ed was like working to bring him down uh, <laughs> right from the moment he felt threatened by him but that's not going to be the only thing they change yeah, on an sure, album surely like he's like at one point i think he starts working out 
a, a day in the life. And I'm like, mate, I think you might have to take out that made my way upstairs and had a smoke line because no one's going to know what the <laughs> fuck you're singing about. <laughs> Again, unless, which Paul McCartney probably was talking about getting high, unless they <laughs> smoke weed in this universe, in which case it might still resonate. Yeah. yeah, just a horrific film in every way and just so Tory and so... Ah, they just... Just again, like, Richard Curtis must live in this gated compound where migrants <laughs> are deported and poor people clobbered on the head and put in prison by cops. Like, also because... known as the West. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but he's basically, like, there's the character who ends up being, I guess, like, Jack's roadie or something, who's just, like, the kind of local fuck-up. And there's all these lines, which is like, oh, you thought I was just a drug-using fool, a drug-taking fool or something. <laughs> and just, like, the way it's phrased is, like, Richard Curtis has never met anyone who takes illegal drugs. Like, <laughs> yeah. he has never met anyone who's done something stronger than, like, a brandy at Christmas. He doesn't know what <laughs> drugs are. He thinks that there is just one substance on the market called drugs, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> you never see the guy take drugs or anything he's just like coded as a bit of a drug addled fuck up and then they say it at one point that he's a drug user and it's like well what is he supposed to be on is he supposed to be like high all the time on the <laughs> weed that exists in this world yeah well, see drugs must still exist because coke they all know what coke is uh, yeah clearly <laughs> so <laughs> God knows, yeah, okay, the Rolling Stones with their nasty, non-smoking, but definitely coking lifestyle <laughs> must have really defined the 1960s in this universe. They just get up and on guess... stage and hit some crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Keith just smoking crack on stage, it would be, that's the only thing I could imagine, because he'd want to be smoking something. <laughs> Like, like, like we said, it's the better universe. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else about this film? Because I just think, I, again, I'll do the thing of like looking through my messages to you about it. Because I just think it's so. Well, like, so like you say, like with the, you, you've already kind of alluded to it with the Coke thing. They really do lean on that. And not just that, but anytime they make a joke that's like kind of amusing the first time, they'll go on to make it like another two or three times in this movie. Mm. Until you're like, oh god, just shut up. Yeah. Were there any like really embarrassing like sex jokes in there or something? Again, I feel like these films are always so like kind of teenage and juvenile yeah. in the way they're sort of sniggering <laughs> behind their hands, just like. <laughs> I feel like there should have been, but none are coming to my mind straight away. One thing that did strike me as another unfunny joke at the end was that whole another thing that's different because there's no Beatles. Let's do an internet search, and apparently for some <laughs> reason there's no Harry Potter in this. Yeah. Okay. Universe. So. What also making this universe the better universe. Yeah, universe. yeah, yeah. No uh, J.K. Rowling spreading a false equivalence <laughs> between fascist and socialist to her millions of followers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I have no idea. It was like right at the end. It was like the last joke they made, sort of. Uh, like, okay. That's supposed to be <laughs> yeah. funny. There's no reason why Harry Potter wouldn't exist without the Beatles. But okay. <laughs> funny. Yeah, man. I don't get that. Is it like because John Lennon wore glasses or something? 
I guess. <laughs> Him and Harry Potter both have for round glasses. Maybe five or ten minutes before that scene, there was that bit of anti-intellectualism as well, where the girlfriend's character, who is, as you said, a teacher herself, is telling the main character, Jack, that teaching would be a total waste of time and effort and it's not good for society, basically, or anybody. I, I forget the exact Richard... phrasing, but I've never really heard such a blunt anti-teaching take in a movie just stated I... outright. I think that's Richard Curtis in crude populist mode. I think that's him trying to ventriloquize what he thinks the normal people. Uh, you know, his idea of normal people yeah. is totally nothing like what actual normal people are. It's, in fact, incredibly bourgeois people. But I think he just thinks, like, oh, yeah, teaching? What fucking... What, what a load of shit. It's not that he thinks that. He probably thinks, <laughs> you know, ed- education is very important. But I think, yeah, it's just this kind of, like, this is what people are like kind of thing. Uh, I find the whole film and again that's what I'm talking about with the references to drugs or sex where it's like when was that drug user thing uh, you were talking about I I can't remember that one uh, it was just something that I think maybe mid-tier in the film his mate said people said I was just a drug using loser but now I'm no, I don't know. I think <laughs> I remember, yeah. What were you saying? The vulgar populism? Yeah, exactly. That's like the references to like drugs and sex. Like they sound like someone who was, you know, <laughs> had, has no experience of either to any extent. It's, it's totally alien from both of them, but knows that people like them. Wants to get <laughs> wants to get them in there, but doesn't know that people like them too much. You know, <laughs> not none of my friends would would be would be too open about. Like none of Richard Curtis's friends tell sex banter at the dinner party which is how he still doesn't know what it is and so on but <laughs> it's this very like buttoned up bourgeois morality in his movies which is so grating i find so i mean yeah yesterday i think is just an objectively tory film yeah yeah at first when you told me i was like how can they make a movie about the beatles that is that that <laughs> bad know. yeah that is exactly as bad as you describe i don't know yeah, uh, and then I went and watched it and was like, ah, that's how they did it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a contrarian Beatles hater. Quite the opposite. I really appreciate their influence, and their influence on me has been big because they are one of the first classic rock bands who I listen to in any depth. But mm. this film feels like it's almost like an insult. <laughs> it, it just it cheapens what's good about their legacy. Wait, hang on. Bernard Jenkin MP, a British conservative politician. Yeah, all right. He dated Bernard Jenkins' wife before she married him, and so now he calls loads of characters in his story Bernard, which sounds like a, a weird, uh, bitter <laughs> kind of flex. <laughs> that <was> weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still, it shows him kind of having a sort of almost adversarial relationship with a conservative politician, although nonetheless operating in the same social right. circles as a conservative politician. <laughs> yeah. I really dislike this man's work to quite extreme levels, and I think that this film is both his and Danny Boyle's worst film yet. <laughs> yeah can't disagree with that just to conclude this line of discussion to directly compare the two films Blinded by the Light and Yesterday I think there's obviously the fact that Blinded by the Light it moved me 
yesterday did not move me. It slightly pissed me off, but that's not <laughs> that's not really moving me. I didn't feel the chills, you know. I didn't feel it. Didn't feel it in my my soul, man. Which I did. I did fucking feel with blinded. In terms of the music, the Beatles are just used as a signifier of just a large pop cultural legacy in the Richard Curtis film. Yeah. Um, whereas Springsteen and the substance, the content of his songs is innate to Blinded by the Light. It's really at the centre of the story. And they make you feel. They make you feel how he feels about Bruce, you know? The film wouldn't work. You can't do a film about someone being a fan of something and not yeah. convey why they're a fan of something. You never fucking get... You kind of get that Jack in Yesterday is a massive Beatles fan. It's said yeah. at various points because he casually references Beatles songs in conversation. But you never get why, you know? No, <laughs> <not a bit. laughs> it's never elucidated. These songs don't seem to have gotten through tough times. Can we just talk about like the romantic dimension of yesterday, actually? Because I was saying earlier, what makes Richard Curtis the expert on this stuff, I guess? But did the romantic relationship in yesterday rub you the wrong way a bit as well? It barely rubbed me at all <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mean it, it's not that I, I don't mean that lily james was bad in it or anything no. she's not but i do think the character is bad yeah she's just kind of endlessly supportive she you know, seemed extremely one-dimensional yeah yeah she just seems to be all about like supporting this man who she secretly loves despite no reciprocation okay okay i've just remembered so she is like, I've always loved you, but because you're doing your own thing now, it's always a thing of like, he's got to choose between success and this woman who just doesn't want him to be successful. <laughs> it's almost like the nagging woman trope yeah. a little bit. So she's like, well, seeing as you're off to become the biggest star in the world, I'm going to get together with one of our annoying middle class mates. And there's this other girl who's part of their friendship group, like looking sad presumably because she liked the guy and this is all come the guy who lily james's character is now dating and this is all conveyed in one shot and then at the end when they get together after his big gig where he's like i stole all these songs from a guy a bunch of guys called john paul george and ringo she gets together with him and they make out and then the fucking guy she's been dating comes along and he basically like bequeaths her to him he's like (laughs) yeah yeah. all right mate yeah you can have her hand in marriage i give you permission well this is a strange one of course i've always known i was number two but that's not a bad place to be. Some of the best songs never made it to number one. Common People by Pulp, for a start. It's a total classic. And obviously, all I want is for Ellie to be happy. Gavin. Best man I ever met. And then this other girl who has been like, literally, I did not register that she was part of the plot. Like, (laughs) she's like over in the corner looking sad. And then she like smiles at him. And then it's implied it's all right because like they can get together now. And so (laughs) 
it's just literally like she's not even a character she's like lit she has a couple of facial (laughs) expressions and then she just reappears conveniently at the end once nice mate who by the way when he bequeaths his girlfriend to jack jack's like thanks mate you've always been a smashing bloke and it's just just like and then she like smiles in the corner she's like i agree now he's such a good man now i can be and just literally man i thought that the attitudes to women just like in that scene alone were so fucking suspect yeah that's valid (laughs) aside from the fact of it just being bad writing and trying to tie up all your loose ends in one scene despite me not even being aware that one of those loose ends was even loose in the first place in the form of yeah 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 he he kind of says don't worry I always knew I was only ever second in command for you. You know, satellite. I was always knew I was only ever number two. I'm just like, this is so cringeworthy, man. So cringeworthy. Yeah. I thought Kate McKinnon was pretty unfunny as the money crazed manager. She, I, I mean, she did her best with it. I think maybe I just have been turned against Kate McKinnon because of her blatantly pro-Hillary Clinton and unsatirical impersonations of Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) So that was yesterday, I guess. Yeah. Worst film ever. Truly atrocious. (laughs) Fuck, man. Fuck, I hated it so fucking much. More or less than Six Underground? Oh, way more, way more, man. Six Underground is like two stars, whereas yesterday is one star of that. Six Underground is at least, it's exciting, you know? <laughs> it's got, it's, yeah. got, it's, it's fucking, uh, like, like you were saying, it's non-stop action. And so if you want stupid Michael Bay stuff, I guess both are works of vulgar auteurism. In yesterday's case, <laughs> I, feel, I I don't really view Danny Boyle as much of an auteur. I feel like every no. one of his films is, is quite different and he does pre-existing properties. Like, he kind of doesn't write... I, I do own... feel he's more... Even as someone who's a bit more of a Danny Boyle fan than you, he's more of a transparent sort of director than an auteur, you know? Yeah, a journeyman. Whereas Richard Curtis, I think, does have an auteuristic stamp, and I think it can be felt in Yesterday. And hey, man, it turns out I prefer Michael Bay's auteuristic stamp (laughs) to that of Richard Curtis. Like, yeah, Richard Curtis should do a fucking Benghazi film. (laughs) Let's see see that. Let's see who gets together at the end. (laughs) Hillary Clinton's like, don't worry, Donald, you can have the presidency. I know I've always been number two for the american people Um, (laughs) Uh, so some trump clinton slash fiction yeah Yeah. (laughs) however on yesterday's wikipedia page it says see also blinded by the light a 2019 british comedy (laughs) drama about an aspiring writer right that's another thing blinded by the light so much funnier than yesterday you know? Yes, yes, it really was. Like I said, so I was howling at, at points in Blinded by the Light. I don't think I did more than a light chuckle at best at any part of yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I, right, who plays his dad in the film? What's... Javid? In yeah, Javid's dad. Kulvinda Gear plays his dad, and he's so brilliant in that role, honestly. Just like everything, like for middle age blustering comedy, for domineering behaviour towards his son, for moments of shame and humiliation that he feels from losing his job and other things that happen in the course of the film, the sense he gives of being emotionally crushed. 
really, really good performance. I, w- I wanted to shout him out. And like, you know, it's just that the cast are really good. Rob Brydon's the only person in it who I really recognised, apart from the guy who plays the neighbour who fought in World War Two. And that's kind of an interesting scene, actually, if we w- want to just mention that for a minute. After Javid throws out all his writing when he has a bit of a meltdown at one point, one of his neighbours, who's mm. a, an elderly white guy, he picks up this poem he wrote about how the National Front are scum and he brings it to the house and you think he's there to complain because, you know, yeah. he's an elderly white man and he's very kind of prim and proper. To be honest, at first I thought he was related to that NF person who was spray-painting Pakistanis. Yeah, yeah. See, I think that scene, it's good in a way. I feel like slightly there's an element of the good conservative who's not racist and fought in World War Two kind of uh, yeah. trope. I genuinely, I used that in my writing at one point as a character in my dissertation, which is set in 19... 19- <laughs> 1980s Britain who has a go at some Nazis saying you know I vote conservative but I fought in World War 2 and I hate you lot so I, I you know I've made the same mistake I think it was less of a mistake in this film because what it showed was the fear the fear in his dad that this anti-racist poem had been discovered by a white man and that it might bring attention to them that it might be met with anger that it might be seen as an insult by the people whose community they're integrating into, you know? Yeah. So I actually thought that that was a very powerful scene in the end. Yeah, yeah, it was. Because I guess there's this conflict throughout the film of whether you want to be proud about your heritage but kind of assimilate like Javid does, and his father feels almost like he should keep a distance from the British people because he likes living in Britain, but he still doesn't quite feel it's his country. You know what I mean? So it's like the divide between generations in migrant communities where they obviously feel more and more at home in the country for generations they go on, despite the efforts of people like the National Front to make them feel like they're not at home. Yeah, exactly. Hi, can I help you? If you come to complain about my wife's sewing machine, you have to appreciate that we have taken on extra work to make ends meet. I came about this. Don't be dumb, NF scum, by Javid Khan. Mr. Evans, uh, writing is my son's hobby. He didn't mean to offend you, I'm sure of that. Jarvis, say sorry. 48 years ago, I marched into war with my friends to fight men in swastikas. Today, I see swastikas on young men on the streets of Luton. That was a very brave poem, young man. You must write more and get your message out. NF scum indeed. Wow. He liked my poem. Why are you writing rubbish? Just a really, just so much to talk about in that excellent film, and what a profound piece of work. Absolutely. Yeah. So, do we want to wrap up on these films now? Maybe call it here this time. We can record some more later, like, if you want, like, in the week, I mean. Yeah, that's cool, man. I mean, we've got plenty here on the main films we wanted to do. All right, thanks for listening to Real Politics. 
<laughs> Thank you, everyone. Yeah, so check out Blinded by the Light. Don't bother with yesterday. It's yeah, awful. burn that shit to the ground. Yeah. Burn. All right, man. Good to talk. <laughs> yeah, Farewell. Peace. peace. Speak soon. <laughs> Today, oh boy, about a lucky man beneath the grave. And though the news was rather sad, well, I just had to laugh. I saw the photograph. The holes were 
It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. 